you, Brandon. Appreciate that. Man, I don't know how you follow something like that, but here we are. So if you ask me, when I was a little bitty kid growing up, I grew up a few miles that way, like just a little bit north of Race Crossing, a little bit west of Manila, if it gives you an idea. If you, yeah, that's right. We got to make some t-shirts, that's what I'm saying. All right, so if you'd ask me, man, what is your life like? And one of the things I might have said was, you know, there are so many funerals and so many nursing home and hospital visits because that was life when you were the son and the grandson of pastors, right? It's just part of how it was. When you committed to shepherd in a flock and walking with a group of people, sometimes sheep were going to get sick and sometimes sheep were going to die. And it's something you had to deal with. And I realized that, but then there was a funeral that came along when I was about five years old and it hit a little closer to home because my great-grandpa died. And I can distinctly remember us loading up in the car, driving two hours south to Floyd County, arriving at this funeral home, getting inside, walking across the parlor. And I remember seeing my grandma and grandpa standing next to the casket. And as I approached the casket, my grandma scooped me up and she said something that to this day, at the time was about as unexpected as could be, but has also been unforgettable for the last 30 odd some years. Because we looked into the casket at my great grandpa's body and she said, Michael, isn't it great? Great Papa isn't sick anymore. He's all better because he's with Jesus. I can still hear that plain as day. Michael, isn't it great? Great Papa isn't sick anymore. He's all better because he's with Jesus. Those words, they didn't dismiss, dis, didn't dismiss the struggle and the pain that was in that room that day. There were still tears shed. But I can tell you it completely reframed in my mind what it meant about life and with death. Because I saw for the first time pretty clearly that when you follow Jesus, death doesn't get the final say, and the eternal life that he gives you doesn't have an ending. I saw that that day, and that stuck with me. And then going on to about four years later, it still was sticking with me, and I was at summer camp or church camp as we called it back in the day and I can distinctly remember being there it was so great I was hanging out with my friends we were playing in the creek uh, we would go to the canteen and buy way too much candy my grandma ran the canteen and so it was probably the first time I was guilty of corruption in my life the only time that I was guilty of that it was a great system we were showering maybe half as often as we should have it was glorious we thought we were the kings and the queens of summer and one night we gather into this chapel and my grandpa, who was the same grandpa that stood by that casket of his father four years before, is just sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, clearly and plainly with myself and, I don't know, 50 other kids anywhere from age 5 or 6 up to 18. And he explained what Jesus did, how Jesus came and he, he died for me. He made it possible for me to be reconnected with God and that it was this beautiful thing. And up to that point, I would have told you, I'm a good kid. I always try to say the right thing, do the right thing, make the right decision. That was me. That had been a big focus of much of my life. And what I realized that day, as Papa shared that good news, was that my problem was not that sin made me bad, made me a bad kid. The problem was that sin made me dead. I did not want to be dead. I wanted to live, like badly. I wanted to live. And so... That night, I surrendered my life to Jesus. I said, well, if Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, 
and you really did what you say you did and you went and you got arrested and you endured torture and you got hung on a cross and you died and you overcame death when you rose from the grave and you say that you're paving the way to eternal life, in my nine-year-old brain, I'm like, I've, I've got to do that. There, there's no other choice that even makes sense. Where else would I go for that? And I, I said, I'm in. I'm following Jesus. There's no turning back. That was summer of 1995. And it was incredible as the years rolled on, as the 90s passed, got into the 2000s, Jesus just kept stretching my understanding of who he was and what he was up to in the world around me. It was crazy. I got to really dig into my Bible and learning to read it a little bit more. I learned to hear the Holy Spirit's voice in my life. I realized just increasingly, man, Jesus is the king of my life. I, I never knew before I needed that. And he's the king of the universe, and yet he still loves me deeply enough to use me as part of this plan to rescue the world. It was just insane. And sure enough, just like he did with Grandpa, with Papa and with Dad, he called me into ministry. And there I was seeing firsthand again that what does it involve? A lot of dealing with pain and struggle and death every single week, a lot of times. One way or another, those things were going to come into play. And so it shocked me this last year, after all these years digging into the Bible, this was actually just a few months ago, dig, digging into the Bible all these years, going to school, you know, when something hits you fresh and you're like, wow, I never saw that before, that happened to me with a story about Jesus' life. I probably read it 50 times and never saw this. And this story painted a picture for me of how Jesus views death and how he dealt with it. And so if you, if you want to flip there, you're welcome to. If not, you can check it out later. But John chapter 11, Jesus arrives in this little village called Bethany. It's just outside of Jerusalem. And his friend Lazarus has died. And it's a really heavy scene that Jesus walks into. It's, it's just really awful, especially the empath that it seems like Jesus was. I can't imagine just the pain and the grief he felt because Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha, are a wreck. People are mourning. They're upset that Jesus didn't come earlier because, well, maybe he could have saved him and he didn't have to die. And it's in the middle of all this that there's this verse that is actually probably one of the most memorized in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35. It's just two words. Some of you might know it. I want to see. It says, Jesus wept. Yeah. So Jesus is crying. He's torn up. He's grieved. And yeah, Jesus was sad, but there was more to this, right? Because there's this word, and for any of you language geeks like me out there, I'll just tell you, it is embrimasthai. And it's this Greek word, and it appears twice, verse 33 in chapter 11 and verse 38. And what this word means, the way it's usually translated in our English translations is something like deeply moved. So they say Jesus was deeply moved. Okay, that's fine. You know, Jesus is clearly emotional. But sometimes when you take a word from one language into the other, it's hard to kind of get the fullness of it, the, the weight of it. And so you have to look, well, where else did that word show up in the Bible? And what else did it mean the other times it appeared? So this is what it meant. At some places, it talked about, they used that word to describe horses snorting as they got ready to go into battle. At another place, it talks, uses it to talk about being indignant, having rage. Uh, it uses it when it talks about Jesus sternly warning people, offering rebukes, scolding people. One scholar just said it this way, you can't look at that word and not say that in some way, shape, or form, it doesn't mean an outburst of anger. So Jesus, yeah, he's sad. Yeah, he's grieving. But Jesus is angry. When Jesus gets into town, he's not just overwhelmed with sadness and grief. Jesus is righteous with rage, right? He is divinely ticked off at the injustice that he sees. 
He has had it up to here with all the evil powers and all the pain that they're causing, all the sin, all the darkness, all the struggle, all the suffering, the death. And Jesus basically says, I've had enough of this. I'm done with this. And in his anger, he doesn't sin, but in his anger, he takes action. Because he kind of goes into this command mode, right? He just starts dishing out commands. It's kind of insane. Like they go and they take him to the tomb where the stone's right in there. And he looks at everybody and says, all right, roll the stone away. And then he looks at everybody and he says, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you were going to see the glory of God today? And then he looks and he says, after they take the stone away, and he looks in and he says, Lazarus, come out. He commands a dead dude to come out. And sure enough, he does. He comes back to life. And when he gets out there, Jesus says, all right, take off his grave clothes and let him go. Jesus had this authority. And it was this little preview of what was going to happen not too long after, just a little ways in the city of Jerusalem. Because Jesus defeated Lazarus' death that day. But he was about to go shortly after and get arrested, get beaten, get hung on a cross, overcome death, raise again, and to give us the hope that we could be reconnected with God and reconnected with each other. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. And unfortunately, Sometimes we have this tendency in the American church, I think we can be notorious for this, that on days like this when we talk about the gospel and good news and even when we're celebrating and things, we can fall into just thinking, you know, the gospel, that's just for the folks who aren't following Jesus yet. I already made that decision before, I'm really good, and I'll be scrolling TikTok until the end and I might stand up for the final song. You know, that's, that's kind of the mode we go into. But friends, brothers, sisters, that's not how the gospel works. That's not how it works. The good news of Jesus means something for every single one of us, every single day. You never outgrow it. You never reach a point where you don't need to hear it. And that's because the gospel has this habit. And that's that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it meets you wherever you are. And it draws you from there closer to Jesus than you were when it found you. That's the habit of the gospel. And I know for some of you in this room, you're at this point right now where... It's not a great feeling, but you're realizing, huh, yeah, I guess I'm probably dead in my sin. I don't follow Jesus. And that can be a really weighty thing to face. However, you also have that other side where you say, but there's hope. There's this king of the universe who died for me and offers me something I can't get on my own. I don't have to be the king of my life anymore. I don't have to try to call these shots and bear this weight. And it's going to be the hardest thing you ever did, the hardest decision you ever make, but it's going to be the best decision you ever made if you decide to follow Jesus. If you decide to surrender your life, it'll cost you everything you have, but it'll gain you everything you don't have if you do that. And I want to be careful here because I don't want to just put pressure on because when we put pressure on, that ten, tends to be when most of us make really horrible, awful decisions. But do I want to convey the urgency? Yeah, because I, I love y'all. I want to dish out the truth that, that there is a cost here. We're talking life and death. I'd love for you to have life. And I don't know where I'd be if I didn't walk the last 27 years with Jesus. I'm telling you. And, and some others of you in this room, maybe you know Jesus, so you're not dead in your sin, but you followed him a long time. And honestly, that passion, that excitement you had when you started following him, you started growing, it's just gone. 
it's flamed out. That somehow died along the way. And maybe it happened suddenly. Maybe it took a long time. I don't know what caused it. If it's a relationship in your life, a job situation, family struggle. If it's just the pandemic where it seems like month after month, expectations have died. We lost normal. Normal's been redefined about eight times. I don't, I don't know what it is, but even just for me, I'll tell you this. I've been so surrounded by death the last six to 12 months. Just time and again, friends losing their dads, losing their grandparents, um, tragedies striking people, losing fiancés, my mentor dying, and honestly, me spending 90 days going, I don't know how to forge ahead. And what God has impressed on me is, Mike, my gospel is still for you. I still want to breathe new life into you. I've still got purpose for you. And if you trust me, I'm going to bring you through this, and I'm going to put you next to other people who are going through this too. You know, when we're tempted sometimes to operate like a cell phone, you know, I charge this phone, and I just hope like heck it makes it to the end of the day. For some of us, that's kind of how we view following Jesus. Why I plugged in, I got charged up, and man, I hope it lasts. But we aren't supposed to operate like a cell phone. We're supposed to operate like a lamp. We know where the power source is. We plug in and we're just constantly charged. We're constantly lit. So for some of y'all today, if you say, yeah, I'm disconnected. Something died in me. I'm still abiding. I've white knuckled. I followed Jesus. I've tried to obey, but I'm freaking miserable. Then maybe your prayer needs to be, God, take me from cell phone mode to lamp mode. I want to operate differently. Because friends, that's where the gospel meets you. None of us in this room can ever outgrow the gospel of Jesus. The good news is always there. The Apostle Paul said it's the power of God for what? For salvation, to save us and rescue us. We couldn't rescue ourselves. And so as the band comes up, I'm going to challenge you wherever you are, whether you're following Jesus or you're not, and you're just chewing on it, thinking about it, we're going to respond to the gospel together. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to encourage you. I, I don't know what it is you need to lay at Jesus' feet, but I'm darn certain there's something. I encourage you, you can do that. Let his good news meet you where you are and see where he takes you, okay? So Jesus, we're here. Lord, I've done the best I can to just point at you. Holy Spirit, I sent you in this room. You know where each of us are. You know how we came in here today. You know what we brought in here today. And Lord, we want to know your hope. And we pray together, Father, asking your forgiveness, whether we're asking the first time or the 87th time. Will you forgive us for where we missed the mark and we fell short and we went our own way? Would you help us repent and just turn around and turn away from that way of thinking, that brokenness, and just look to you? for you to make a way and give us the hope that we need. Jesus, I pray you'll just transform us today, heart, body, mind. That You'll heal us. You'll make us right. You'll give us something we can't have. I pray for those of us who've fallen into cell phone mode and we're getting that warning, God, that the battery's about to die, that, that you would take us right over into lamp mode, Lord. We know you're the outlet. Help us plug in. Jesus, I pray now 
as we get ready to sing to you, I pray that we can do this knowing that you've got this. You are king. You are in control. And we can trust you with our lives. I thank you for making it so the gospel just stays fresh for us. That it's always meaningful. And I pray we'll be different women and different men when we walk out of this place. In your name we pray. Together. Amen.